<laughs> you can edit that. <laughs> I, I will edit it. It's midnight on the first Monday of the month. That means we're ready to go again. So this is Midnight Theology, the late night ponderings of four pastor friends. We talk all things Christianity, leadership, culture, and life, often as they relate to the Methodist Wesleyan movement. I'm your host this time, Larry Frank, and I'm joined by... Sarah Wank. Gabe Wank. And Adam Penn. We'd like to thank you for joining us again. So, hey, it's good to be back together. Uh, Today we're talking about miracles, signs, healings. Uh, And this is a topic that the four of us have talked about uh, quite a bit, actually, uh, in various ways. And it usually stems uh, from a question that we've all gotten as pastors at some point or another. And it usually goes something like this. Why doesn't God perform miracles like we see in the Bible? Like, why don't we see uh, these things that we read in Scripture? And I think it's a really fair question. Uh, The Gospels record 38 different miracles that Jesus performed. And then there's that little line in John 21, 25. Jesus also did many other things. If they were all written down, I suppose the whole world could not contain the books that would be written. So that's like this really enormous thing, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Then, of course, there's all the miracles in the Old Testament, the New Testament, early church. And I guess when we talk about miracles, we probably need a definition. I'm a Webster's guy, uh, and it's pretty straightforward. A miracle is an extraordinary event manifesting divine intervention in human affairs. And most often when we talk about these miracles, we're talking about signs and wonders that defy the established laws uh, of nature. And that's when we're talking about miracles in a physical uh, sense, Uh, because we think of this mostly in terms of physical healings. There's all sorts of other uh, types of healing and uh, and miraculous things. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. Uh, But I was looking uh, at Papa Wesley, John Wesley this week, because I'm working on my historical portion of my dissertation, and I thought I'd kill two birds with one stone. Uh, Just to see, we talk about why don't these things happen like they did in the Bible, and they actually continued to happen uh, after the early church, maybe just not with the frequency uh, that we saw in the early church. So uh, I found a couple of stories um, that I want to point out from Wesley's journal. One of them is really, really simple, uh, and the other is, uh, is pretty big. Uh, so one time Wesley was talking about his horse being exceedingly lame, whatever that means. It sounds, it sounds (laughs) awesome. Uh, and then he himself was encountering some problems from, uh, an extended period of writing. And this is what he wrote in his journal. I was thoroughly tired and my head ached more than it had done for some months. I then thought, cannot God heal either man or beast by any means or without any. Immediately, my weariness and my headache ceased and my horse's lameness in the same instant, nor did he halt any more either that day or the next. A very odd accident, this also. Uh, And then the much larger one, uh, a story that um, most of us probably, I don't remember being taught about this one, that Wesley Uh, brought someone back from death. Uh, Shortly before Christmas in 1742, uh, he and a co-worker of him, uh, Mr. Mayrick, uh, they both had a violent cold, uh, preaching, writing, uh, that whole thing. Wesley recovered pretty quickly. Uh, The other guy didn't. uh, And this is what Wesley wrote. When I came home, they told me the physician said he did not expect Mr. Mayrick would live till the morning. I went to him, but his pulse was gone. He had been speechless and senseless for some time. 
A few of us immediately joined in prayer. I relate the naked fact. Before we had done, his sense and his speech returned. Now he that will account for this by natural causes has my free leave. But I choose to say, this is the power of God. About five days later, the guy got sick again. Uh, And on Christmas Day, Wesley wrote this. The physician told me he could do no more. Mr. Mayrick could not live over the night. I went up and found them all crying about him, his legs being cold and as it seemed dead already. We all kneeled down and called upon God with strong cries and tears. He opened his eyes and called for me. And from that hour, he continued to recover his strength till he was restored to perfect health. I wait to hear who will either disprove this fact or philosophically account for it um so uh and this guy lived a couple more decades died in 1770 uh after after a long fruitful life and in ministry so there's that uh so um that's just in our our wesleyan vein that these kind of things were seen uh after after the biblical period but i want us to talk about our own history with with healing or the miraculous and then we'll try to get around to that question why don't we see it as much uh today uh so we've all had our own experiences with this and just want us to take a few moments uh to share just kind of how it hits us and what uh what our experience is adam you're up buddy so my own experience um most recently at least kind of had a cool situation happened a couple of months ago with a lady who was connected to Armstrong, where I'm serving, and she had uh, diabetes and had been managing it for some time, and she is uh, around 40 years old, so younger, and just wasn't feeling well one day and went to go lay down, and uh, turned out that she was having a diabetic episode. And so she ended up uh, inadvertently slipping into a diabetic coma um, for eight hours um, before someone went to go check on her. And by the time they tried to wake her up, she was unresponsive. And uh, so obviously they called the ambulance, rushed her to the emergency room. And um, by the time she got there, her body temperature had dropped to 90 degrees um, and uh, her organs were shutting down um and so she was in a coma for uh, days i don't remember exactly how many but um she was in a coma that they weren't sure if she was ever going to pull out of Um, it, it really looked like a bleak situation and so um about five days that she had been at the hospital um I got a call um, to help lead a prayer vigil. Of course, with COVID restrictions, uh, the amount of people who could come visit her in the hospital was pretty limited, but uh, about 100 people uh, ended up gathering in the hospital parking lot um, for this prayer vigil, and they brought um, signs and candles and things like that. And so uh, we we got to pray together um, that evening in the parking lot, um, and we kept it fairly simple and, and really prayed for two things. We um, prayed for healing in Jesus' name and full faith that Jesus could uh, fully heal uh, and restore this woman. Um, and we trusted Jesus with the outcome. So we, we prayed in faith for what we wanted, and then we uh, simply opened our hands and, and trusted Jesus for the outcome. Um, and uh, wouldn't you know it, 
um, the next day, she started making this miraculous turnaround. Um, there had already been a couple of positive signs that day before the prayer vigil, but then things really started picking up after that. She um, was able to come off the ventilator that they uh, had her on um, and, and uh, come out of the medically induced coma that they had had her in to, to manage the pain that she was experiencing. Her uh, organs started to, to function again. And uh, so uh, about a week later, she showed up at Armstrong mm. and just seeing her walk across the parking lot and, and into Armstrong is just uh, it was miraculous. And just, you know, and I think the coolest one of the coolest parts about it is, you know, I mean, folks got to witness not, you know, not only the folks who showed up at that prayer vigil, but, you know, everyone who was praying for her, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, it's just a testament to the power of prayer. Yeah. Um, yeah. and of of god's power to heal and make a way uh where there there is none um and so it was just a really amazing thing um to witness and to um you know give thanks for you know it, it was just a celebration that sunday you know when she came walking in uh, to armstrong and you know not even sure if she would ever be able to walk again um so yeah that's that's my most recent experience. That's cool. That's cool. That's awesome. Uh, yeah. Uh, I think my mine goes a little farther back than that. Really, two two really quick stories. The first time I really I really remembered feeling like I was in the presence of 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 God's healing mercy was on a chrysalis weekend. I was a uh, I was a teenager working this retreat weekend. Um, and I don't even remember what my role was on the weekend, but I remember this this moment. Uh, one of the girls who was also working on the weekend was standing up on a chair decorating the dining hall, and she fell off the chair and and, and twisted her knee on the way down. And her knee, it, it was really swollen, um, like immediately. Um, and they wanted her to, you know, go get it checked out, but she wanted to continue serving on the weekend. So a group of us gathered around her, uh, to, to pray for her. Uh, she was just in excruciating pain. And I remember I had my hand, uh, right on her knee. And as we were, as we were praying, I could physically feel the swelling going down under my hand. And I remember being like, okay, this is the weirdest most terrifying and yet coolest thing uh, I've, I've ever been a part of. <laughs> um, so that was the first time. Uh, the most recent one for me also involved a knee. It just happened to be mine. Uh, <laughs> December 26th, uh, 2019, I was playing basketball with my niece and uh, tore my meniscus um, uh, playing with her. The problem being, we were supposed to be leaving for a trip to the Holy Land shortly after that. Um, and my knee was huge really swollen, couldn't get comfortable in bed, could barely walk. Um, they wanted to do surgery like immediately. I'm like, I got to lead this Holy land trip. Um, so we were at uh, covenant keepers, which is a p gathering for all of the pastors in our, in our conference. Um, and a friend of mine, who's a district superintendent uh, grabbed me and pulled me into the room where the cabinet normally meets the Bishop in the cabinet. And usually at covenant keepers, when they pull people into that room, it's because they're getting ready to tell them that they're moving to a new appointment. So I was instantly like, like sweating, like, why am I in this room? Uh, and he brought in uh, two other pastors uh, and they laid hands on my knee and, and prayed. Um, and it wasn't like an instantaneous thing. Uh, it was like, 
it took over the course of a couple of days. I noticed that the pain was gone. I had a lot more mobility to, to my knee and uh, Gabe went with me on that trip. And you remember like I had every possible scenario planned out for, uh, you know, if I was gonna have to get carried down a hill or crawl (laughs) or whatever. And it just kept getting better and better, um, as we went. Mm -hmm. So, um, and I still haven't had uh, surgery on it. It's definitely, I'm not, you know, I'm not jumping up and uh, dunking a basketball anytime soon. Uh, but, uh, but God's healing is still ongoing, uh, uh, with that, you know, and, and, and I'm a witness and, and Gabe was there. <laughs> yeah. You know, and w- so we've all seen, we've all probably got those, those, those neat stories of things like that, but we've also seen, um, the other side of it as in like, why does God heal some people and not others? And the way that can be, um, can be abused and, um, and it could just it can just be really hard. So, uh, Sarah, I wondered if you'd say a word about that. Yeah, and I think the elephant in the room, right, in talking about about miracles, in particular in physical healing, is that so many people don't experience physical healing, um, and then have to reconcile this tension, right? Of, uh, but God can heal, and I'm supposed to believe that God can heal. <laughs> but he hasn't healed me or he hasn't healed the person that I've been um, so adamantly praying for. And so God therefore must not still do miracles in the way that he did. Um, And that's an understandable tension because uh, we're living, we live day to day, right? With people we love uh, in suffering circumstances and wonder why God isn't healing. Um, you know, as you've heard, I'm a United Methodist preacher's kid and, and raised in a, a very holiness movement, but physical healing was not something we talked about or prayed for very often. If we did, we prayed, um, like God, if it's your will, right? Would, would you heal this person? But if you don't, <laughs> that's okay. Mm. Um, as if we were just so very cautious about it. And I, and for me in my personal life, um, that was the appropriate way to pray uh, because my mother um, experienced a significant physical disability. Um, she is the youngest of seven children born right in the middle of the polio pandemic. And at three years old, my grandmother had the opportunity to get her vaccinated with her older sister. But at the time, felt like there wasn't enough research or information, sound familiar, mm. and uh, she wasn't comfortable giving her uh, baby girl this vaccine. Um, And within about six months time, my mother had contracted polio. Uh, A normal running three-year-old toddler and woke up one morning paralyzed from the neck down, Um, Hmm. which is just terrifying. I mean, when I think about it and how I would feel in that position. Fortunately, um, she was not hit with the kind of polio that affected her lungs or her breathing. It did, however, completely atrophy and paralyze every muscle in her body besides her major functioning organs. So she cannot walk uh, by her own ability. Um, Thanks to lots of therapy uh, with um, the nuns of OSF and in Alton, Illinois, and lots of different places. Shriners Hospital. Shriners Hospital, and about a dozen uh, very demanding surgeries. She walks with the use of braces on her legs and crutches in her arms. And um, and as an incredible person of faith, she could literally <laughs> run circles around me with her accomplishments. Um, and I never once heard her question, 
um, why she had this physical disability or why God didn't take it from her. Um, so we didn't pray for healing in our, in our home for her, um, in part because it was unnecessary, right? She was living and thriving in a lot of ways. But I think it was also just an unspoken, um, it felt really too big to pray for, right? Mm. Um, her physical healing when she was, by the time I came along, right, in her 20s and 30s and 40s, already having lived so long with the disease. And it feels really bold, right, to, to like suddenly pray that a person who's completely paralyzed would rise up and walk. So uh, we, didn't, we didn't pray for it. Um, and I lived in the tension every day, right, of a God who would be capable of healing, but we're not, um, and we believe that he, we believe that he can, but we're not particularly claiming it or asking for it in this situation, or where people have asked for it, he has not healed. So, um, in a really fascinating story that my parents only shared with me just a few years ago in my adulthood, um, it turns out mom had experienced a lot of abuse by Christians and in the church because of her um, disability. She, on a very regular basis, like in the grocery store, would have complete strangers walk up to her, lay hands on her, and say, rise up and walk, right? And mm. not knowing uh, how difficult or harmful that is for her to receive. Um, mm. And if that wasn't bad enough, um, there are some occasions in her history where Christians, uh, she ran in some very charismatic circles, uh, prayed for her healing, said, essentially said, we're locking you and your husband, my dad, uh, in the church, and we're going to stay here until she walks out. And uh, a sort of uh, prayer vigil that took a very bad turn, right? Mm. Um, where they would take her equipment, her medical equipment off her, walk her around the church holding her upright, um, um, and, and saying, in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk, Right. And uh, a few days into that, my father said, we can't keep doing this, and took her home. Um, mm. And so not only have we lived in the tension of, I love my mother more than words could say, right? And would want her complete physical healing um, more than I would want it for anybody, for her to be free of the pain that she's had to endure through her lifetime. And I believe God is capable of doing that but he hasn't done it, right? Um, and who knows why? Could be for a hundred different reasons. Um, but I struggled as a pastor to preach about healing, um, to talk about it. I still prayed in that manner of like, God, if you would, <laughs> if you feel up to it, <laughs> would take this healing for this person, but it's totally okay if you don't. Uh, apologetically, right? Mm. Very cautiously, because my life has too many stories, right? Of not experiencing the healing. And every time a pastor would talk about it, um, and I would hear a pastor from the pulpit say things like, um, you have to have faith to be healed, right? All it makes me think is, my mother's the most faith-filled person in the world, right? Faith hasn't healed her. Um, and then I know that every other person in the audience who's prayed for the cancer to be taken from their loved one is also thinking the same thing. And healing in the church has become this very difficult um, 
I then question myself as I don't have enough faith. I don't believe enough. Um, is something wrong? Are uh, we committing a sin? I mean, some denominations would really lean into that, right? You're living a sort of sinful life and that's why God won't heal you. There's so much abuse and neglect around it in the church that I often avoided the conversation. And then there's so much tension in your day-to-day life of wanting people to be healed and them not being healed. That for me, it has only recently (laughs) has miracles and physical healing become something I've talked about more. And um, I think I'll let Gabe explain that part. Yeah, do say more. So we were we were married in the fall of '03, and um, just we're waiting for God to bless us with a family uh, when the right time came. Uh, and for, I don't know, six seven years of marriage, and there was uh, just no evidence of of life being formed. Uh, so we started to investigate uh, causes, reasons for infertility uh, in our lives. And um, went through a very intense season of uh, diagnostics, uh, treatments, shots, all the things uh, that one can do, pretty much all the things that one can do to try to become fertile and and procreate. And we uh, found ourselves, uh, the more we were seeking after uh, scientific answers, uh, doctors and nurses uh, poking and prodding, that we were becoming even uh, less able um, to produce uh, life. And we had a a period of 12 months where we had three losses. Uh, And those losses, they weren't developed uh, too, too much, maybe eight to 10 weeks along uh, in the life cycle uh, in utero. Uh, But what we found was, we, we found a sense of healing when we went through the adoption process. Uh, and that's a whole other story, uh, not for today. But then just, um, I don't know, eight years after working through all of the infertility uh, rigmarole, we went to a, a conference. Uh, it was a new room conference down in Tennessee. I uh, can't remember the name of the town it was in. Um, maybe one of you would remember. Franklin that year. Franklin? Nashville would probably cover it. Nashville area. The Nashville area. And here's your your plug for Seedbed Publishing and New Room Conference, our favorite conference of the year, right, guys? That's right. Amen. Was was it the second, maybe, uh, New Room Conference that I had been to? It had been going on for a couple years. I heard good things about it, wanted to check it out. Uh, But Sarah and I uh, felt the call one night to go up and be prayed for. And it was not just an altar call call of sorts, but it was a very specific call uh, to prayer. And Sarah, I need you to maybe fill in the blanks of what yeah, the words were for that. Um, and I, I remember it clearly. I think Larry will remember it clearly. Uh-huh. Uh, Bishop Sandy Miller um, was our, our guest speaker and, and was talking about Holy Spirit stuff and uh, manifestation of the Spirit in some big ways. And we had some prayer time at the end of, of his what was a specific time for for prayer and for healing prayer. And he called forward anyone who was um, experiencing infertility or struggled to have a family. And we didn't go up. Uh, I remember not going up because you and I were now, you know, nine, ten years past our struggle with infertility and miscarriage. And you and I It was a pre-planned not going up. 
Yeah. Because we knew that was going to come. And we was knew part it of his was ma- coming. And we talked part, about it at dinner and you were like, I'm not. No, I'm yeah. not doing this. In part, because it always comes up when people are doing healing prayer, right? Infertility stuff tends to always come up in conversation. I was, I was prepared for that. And you and I would say we didn't need the prayer, right? We didn't need the healing prayer because we were whole, because we had our family and our son Hudson. And we were at this point nine years past the the grief and, and pain and trauma of infertility. In many ways, you and I would say we were we were healed from it emotionally, spiritually, mentally, even though my body didn't heal. And so I remember just like, no, we don't we don't need to go up. That's for those people who are still in the throes of this grief and pain. Um, and then he very specifically called for people who were like, <laughs> uh, maybe you're past the, the season of fertility and and you've you've moved towards adoption or something like that. And he called for other people to come who had put that behind them. And um, I think Larry looked at us and we looked at him and <laughs> up front we went um, where Sandy and his wife uh, specifically prayed for you and I. Yeah. And so from that experience, uh, Sarah... Um, well, I mean, I'm telling your story, but it, it's it's good to have a witness, right? Um, but you had a vision uh, in the midst of that prayer. You, you you felt like you had a vision, and, and you blogged about it a little bit, uh, where you saw Jesus holding a baby. And, and you told us uh, immediately after uh, that as Jesus is holding this baby, uh, looking up, uh, looking at you um, and saying, she looks just like you. Uh, as if to say, I'm holding one of your little ones who was lost and, and, and I've cared for. And in my mind, at least, I was thinking, okay, so this is, this is, this is a sign that though we didn't get to know uh, babies unborn, that they were in the arms of Jesus. Uh, and yet, um, through a miraculous work, here we are uh, now two years later plus, uh, and in December of 2020, uh, we were surprised right before Christmas with uh, a positive pregnancy test and confirmation that you were 11 weeks along. And here we are now uh, telling this story uh, in, in the recording phase. Uh, I think you're, what, 28 weeks along? Yeah, uh, just, And baby uh, Bristol is, is growing uh, healthily in your womb, which uh, up to this point uh, was just it was impossible it was it was medically impossible you guys, okay so the audience should probably know that we are actually really close in life friends the four of us and um and so they would understand that i mean we used to joke about the hostility of my womb right years ago <laughs> Yeah, um, and how uninhabitable <laughs> it was, and I, I just, I, I don't know that there's any way to convey to anybody but Gabe and I what a, a complete and total surprise it was this December. Um, so just, it was the day the Bethlehem star appeared in the sky, December twenty first, December twenty second, something like that. And I had the day before just preached a sermon about the miraculous pregnancies of Elizabeth and Mary. And I stood on a stage in front of our congregation, which is fairly large. So um, by the time it's disseminated for other people to hear, probably over a thousand people telling them um, that God, you know, miraculously gave life to Mary by his divine ability. Um, And then through natural restoration provided a miraculous pregnancy to Elizabeth. And I stood on the stage and said things like, God still heals, God still does miracles. And I remember very clearly saying things like, and I am healed, 
um, not physically, but God healed me emotionally. He healed me mentally. He healed me spiritually. I am whole um, because of the work that Christ has done in my heart, and I'm whole because of the gift of adoption. And it is okay that my body will never experience the gift of pregnancy because God still healed me. And uh, so then like two days later, I'm, I'm struggling with some symptoms and I knew that if I went to the doctor that they would, um, they would make me take a pregnancy test. And I had this moment of, it wasn't embarrassment about the doctor, it was how do you stand on a stage and tell several hundred people that God still does miracles and God still heals, but you won't take a pregnancy test because you don't think it's possible for you. And um, that was that was the nudge I needed to go get a pregnancy test and take it. And you could still bowl Gabe and I over that this is happening. It, mm -hmm. it is literally 11 years after we closed the doors to having a biological family. And it is three years after the prayer that we, we experienced uh, through Sandy Miller and, la and later Steve Siemens. Um, I had thought <laughs> that that vision I had and the prayer we had, that God healed us in other ways. And I had mentally, emotionally still closed the door to the thought that he was ever going to heal us physically. And I want to be very clear, I was not mad or upset or um, disappointed that God wasn't gonna heal me physically because God had been so faithful a, in healing me in all those other ways, but also using our story as a point of redemption to help heal other people who were still in pain because of infertility and things. So we were seeing the fruit of how not being healed <laughs> could actually still point people to God, right? Mm -hmm. um, it could still, they could still have hope in how God would give them strength or restore them or meet their emotional, spiritual needs. Um, and so I, I never questioned the fact, I guess, well, early on, I, did, I questioned why God wouldn't heal us physically. But later on, right, after we've had our son through adoption, um, after some time of healing, um, I had no embitterment, right, that God hadn't healed us physically. And so this was just like, bizarre <laughs> a twist from God to sort of bring this so much later, right, than, than our story. But here we are, uh, the girl who, who didn't pray for physical healing, not just for myself, but often for other people, because you didn't see physical healing happen. And then I'm, I'm now experiencing the gift of physical healing. I remember sitting with my mom, um, it was Christmas, we had just told her, uh, about the baby. I was sitting in the living room and I was processing with her how very worried I was about trying to um, claim this physical healing, recognizing that so many people will be hurt by the news of my physical healing, right? Like, why is God fixing this for her when she doesn't even need it, but he's not fixing it for me? Um, and I was, I was grappling with that tension with her. Like, how do I give credit to the healing and glory to God, which he is so worthy of, while also recognizing um, that God still doesn't, hasn't healed these other people in need, and she says, like me, right? And, mm. and that's mm. the weight of the tension that I, I feel like I live in every day, right? Mm. Um, God not healing her, but providing this miraculous gift to me. And, uh, and I think it's just added to this conversation about why doesn't, doesn't God still do miracles, right? Um, mm -hmm. But 
I, I'm just still in total disbelief that we're experiencing a miracle of our own. I think we all are. Let me, let me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah right. No kidding. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I remember the days telling, telling family and friends and, and just seeing that dumbfounded look or hearing the silence on the other side of the phone, like, what did you just say? Yeah. <laughs> like when you guys told us, it took probably a full 20 seconds for us to like comprehend what was happening. Yeah. Like Stunned what was silence. even being. Yeah. I mean, it was a solid 20 seconds of all of us just sitting there like. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So there's, there's two pieces that I want to touch on. Um, one is uh, the second piece is about others praying for something like this mm. unbeknownst to us. But the first thing I want to touch on is the words that were said either by Sandy Miller or Steve Siemens to you, Sarah, in question. And maybe yeah. it was one of their wives. You, I remember you saying something about that, and that was an important pivot in your personal understanding and maybe a stretch of faith. Uh, can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, so it was actually the, so Sandy Miller prayed for us one year. We were back to New Room the next year and um, we were in the healing prayer times that we were having, they were leaning a, a little bit more into asking, into asking boldly, right? And I had never asked boldly for healing. Um, I just explained why, right? That took forever, but mm -hmm. now you know. Um, but I felt this call that I was supposed to go receive prayer and ask specifically for healing. Not because I wanted to receive the healing, but in the obedience of asking, right? Um, stepping out and doing this thing of saying, okay, God, um, I'm hearing you nudge me in this way and I want to be obedient in it. And I'm going to ask because the asking makes me uncomfortable, right? So like asking me to pray for my mom's physical healing, that makes me uncomfortable because I know she lives without the physical healing every day. So even praying for my own physical healing, um, I think sometimes we don't ask and I know why I didn't. It's because you're afraid of the disappointment of not receiving the healing, right? So I went to to Steve Siemens, who was this, uh, who was a professor of mine at Asbury, and I consider a mentor. I don't think he would consider it <laughs> that way, uh, but I approached him and uh, asked for him to pray. He prayed for me, and he made me ask, right? Like he he made me ask for the healing, and uh, and so I did. And I stopped him at the end of the prayer, and I said, Dr. Siemens, you know, um, of course God is able to do this healing, uh, to give me the gift of life. But I have many complex medical issues that make my womb very, a very hostile place, my body a very hostile place. If God were to make me pregnant, um, do I then resume all the treatment and all the shots and all the stuff to try to keep me pregnant? It was a very big worry of mine, right? Like, what if I got pregnant one day um, but if I didn't do all the right things, then I may, that pregnancy may not come to fulfillment, right? So I asked him that and he paused. <laughs> if you know Dr. Siemens, that's not a surprise. Mm -hmm. It was kind of quiet for a minute. And then he said, if God can do the bigger thing of creating life and giving you life, then God can do the smaller thing of sustaining that life in your body. Wow. And, um, and in the early days of this pregnancy in particular, when you're not sure if it's going to take and last, was something I really clung to and changed the way um, even that you think of healing and, pr and, and prayer for healing. There's God doing the big things, 
right, of making the dead <laughs> rise up and walk. And, and sometimes there's God doing the little more intricate things, right, that have to be knit together to make those healings work. So, um, so those two times of prayer with Bishop um, Miller and with Dr. Siemens, um, you know, part of the surprise of all of this is the healing we've received. But the other bit of this, the work that it's done is how it's pushed me, right, personally, in deeper places of trust and prayer and asking. And it's now it's so funny to me that I didn't want to ask for healing. Um, because I think about my, my son, my child, and he runs in the house and without hesitation will ask me for certain things, right? Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> come in from playing outside and run in and just go, Mom, can I have six juice boxes for me and the, you know, the neighbor kids? And doesn't wonder whether I'm going to give it to him or not. He just assumes I'm going to, right? Um, and yet I don't pray that way to my father, right? Don't have that kind of uh, childlike trust that he wants to give to me. And so, um, so these moments of prayer um, have really sort of opened my eyes to that, a deeper trust, a deeper dependency, um, a more childlike love, right, between me and my father. So, um, so segue that into the others praying for us, yeah, for you, yeah. uh, unbeknownst to us, and how, how that works maybe in the life of miracles. Yeah, I, it wasn't until, of course, after we're making this pregnancy very public, and we felt like we had to make it very public because it would almost be... Um, I don't know the right word. Like unfaithful? De- unfaithful, like denying God, right? If we didn't mm. immediately and totally give him the credit for what was happening here. Mm-hmm. I didn't want the credit mm-hmm. to go to any other place. And we know people say ridiculous things <laughs> like, um, oh, it was time or something. Like, no, <laughs> nope, it wasn't <laughs> that. It was only God. Um, but the more we told the story, the more we came to hear stories about people who had been praying for us along the way that God would do this healing work. And I am still blown away by, I'd say, at least half a dozen to 10 people who have spoken to us and said, we've been praying specifically for this for you. And then how cool that they're getting a miracle of their own by watching the miracle unfold in us. And uh, Larry, you and your wife were a big part of that, um, un- unbeknownst to us, right? But part of that prayer on our well, Thanks a lot, Larry. No, no, honestly, honestly <laughs> it, it was Brittany. I, I didn't yeah. know initially that she had felt this prompting from God to pray for you guys to have a baby. Because yeah. she didn't fully understand it herself because there was still this thought of, well, they can't get pregnant. And you like, know. I'm old, y'all. So, yeah. I mean, we should put that in there. Right. So, I'm, I mean, it's not like we just tried to have a family for a long time and it's been a long time since. Um, so, I'm, I'm currently 42, right? Yeah. So, it does feel ridiculous for people to pray that we would have a family now. <laughs> yeah. She said it was just, it was just this prompting and, and she didn't, she didn't even quite understand what it was. She just obediently prayed. Um, and she started to get a hunch a few weeks before you told us you said that your stomach was feeling a little off and you didn't want coffee. And Brittany said to me, right? if I didn't know any better, I would say that Sarah was pregnant. And I went, well, that's just a ridiculous idea. And she yeah. said, I know, but, um, yeah. So yeah, I, we're, 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 uh, we're all so excited that we got to be a part of this, uh, story with you. a very small part of this. Well, but I, actually one of the things that's so fulfilling to me 
is that Brittany and others have their own relationship with God has changed because they prayed for something and they got to see it come to fulfillment. And that has to change how she and others then pray for things from this point forward, right? Like, oh, I prayed for something and it came to be. <laughs> like, God did it. And that, um, that has been really, really cool for Gabe and I is that, and I think, I, I can't say why God chose to give us this child and to give them give her to us now um for me part of the distance the timing in the story is the only way the only way that well no that god was going to get the credit because it has been such a long drawn out story right like you there's no other explanation but god when you've not been trying to have a family for 10 years right um but the other piece is what it has done in the faith development of other people that we get to say um, God still works miracles and we're proof of that mm -hmm. and your prayers are proof of that um, I mean it, it will forever change how we talk about and process miracles with people mm -hmm. it won't deny the tension right like we I, I still will never be able <laughs> to just go like have more faith or you're just not asking hard enough right or you need to pray more I will never be that person because I mean, mm -mm. I still prayed for my grandpa's cancer to go away and it didn't, right? So right. so I will always experience that tension. Um, but now there's sort of a, a proof, right? A physical proof that we can point to and that will change how we preach and teach about miracles forever. Well, and I think that's one of those, you hit on that really well talking about how it's impacted your your trust and, and depth of faith. And I think that's really what we get around to when we ask the question, okay, so why don't we see this as much? And and people like Wesley would have said it's it's a lack of faith. Now that's been twisted in our yes. time to say if you only had more faith. I remember in yes. Bible college I had a professor who her and her husband lost an adult child. Um, long drawn out sickness died and uh, she was preaching in chapel several years after it had happened and she said she could very clearly remember a group of students coming into her office and saying if you and your husband would have just had more faith your son would be alive. Holy smokes, uh, I can't and, even and I she, just want to say uh, things. She, I remember her saying in the middle of that sermon, bad theology is still bad theology, even if it's written on a Hallmark card. So mm. even even if there's <laughs> good intention behind what's being said, it can still be abusive. It can still deny that tension when really what we're talking about is how much do we expect God to move? Yeah. And how much do we trust that he can? Even if he doesn't, he's still our only hope. Um and, and this was this was in the the early part of the Wesleyan movement too. People asked that same question: Why don't we see the things that we saw in the early church? Uh, and I think that's kind of what um, Wesley was getting at. Uh, he he talked about a lack of faith. He said the cause of this was not, as has been vulgarly supposed, that there was no more need or occasion for miracles because all the world had become Christian. This is a miserable mistake. Not a twentieth part of the world was then nominally Christian. The real cause of the loss was that the love of many, almost all so-called so-called Christians, had grown cold. 
The Christians had no more of the spirit of Christ than that of the heathens. The son of man, when he came to examine his church, could hardly find faith on earth. This was the real cause why the extraordinary gifts of the Holy Spirit were no longer to be found in the Christian church after that time. It was because the Christians had turned heathen again and had only a dead form left. So when this faith and holiness were nearly lost, dry, formal, orthodox men began even then to ridicule whatever gifts they did not have themselves. They belittled and discredited all the gifts of the spirit as either madness or fraud. I don't think at all wow. he's saying he's talking about the way this gets t- twisted in our culture that you just need to have more faith. I think he's getting at where's our expectation, where's our trust that our father is more than capable of, of, of doing this. And will we ask, will we trust that the Holy Spirit can do those things um, in, in our time? So what's the, where's, where's the expectation of that? Uh, and then there's this this other piece of this that we, we've talked a lot about physical healing, uh, and your story is incredible, Sarah. It's one of my current favorite stories to talk about there being <laughs> life where there was once only death, uh, which is you know kind of a Jesus yeah. thing, right? Um, yeah. But there's other kinds of healing. You know, we talk about that in pastoral circles that we're all terminal, and the only full healing is death. Um, but you kind of hinted at it before about uh, emotional or, or, or spiritual healing, uh, other ways that God might bring about our wholeness. Uh, I wonder if you'd say a little more about that. Yeah, so part of that comes from what we were living in before this physical healing is I, I, I do not say this to try to cover uh, any, any pain from not being physically restored earlier in my life. I totally and completely mean that God had healed me emotionally, right? Healed me spiritually. Um, what was such a painful season for us, those seasons of uh, miscarriage and loss and grief and one closed door after the next, um, where it was difficult to walk past a family in Walmart, right? Or attend mm-hmm. a baby shower where there was bitterness and hurt and grief. Um, God lifted that totally and completely for me, right? Um, in a way that not only could I, I celebrate the joy of others having life and birth and, uh, and babies, right? Um, but I also could happily, joyfully share my story um, because I could see how God was redeeming my story by using it to redeem other stories too, right? Um, especially in ministry and as a, as a clergy woman, having the unique platform to be able to speak to the things of infertility and loss um, from the pulpit and offer to many women who, who hold those things in silence um, to give them hope, right? That God is with them in their pain and their, uh, <laughs> that he can lift that hurt. He can redeem their stories. Um, I don't want my physical healing to minimize what God had done in my heart um, and the redemption that's possible. Now, we've talked a lot about the tension that we all live in with not being able to reconcile healing. Gabe and I are currently still living in that tension. So we experience the miraculous gift of this physical healing and, uh, and the pregnancy at the end of December. But it was uh, several weeks into this journey of pregnancy 
when we would learn that our little girl will live with Down syndrome. And then just a couple of weeks ago had confirmed, uh, they had told us maybe sooner than that, um, that she'll also be born with a congenital heart defect um, and need open heart surgery and a lifetime monitoring with that. And um, so we're living in this tension still, right, of what well, God did the physical healing of giving us life, um, but our daughter will be born with these physical um, difficulties, and, and God didn't automatically, right, uh, sort of make her whole in the way that we would all hope for or expect. Um, I was processing with... Um, well, yeah, yeah, with Maxie Dunham, that very reality, right? How do I, as a pastor, help reconcile with people uh, claiming that God did this healing in our life and, and giving us the gift of this child? But they may have questions about why she'll be born with limitations, right? If, if, God, if God did the miraculous healing, then why didn't God make her whole, right? Um, and he so wisely said something to the effect of, um, like what makes us think that our version of wholeness or perfection is God's version of wholeness or perfection. Like she will be born perfectly and holy. And just because we see the physical limitation in it doesn't mean that God sees a limitation in it. Like mm -hmm. essentially maybe you don't need to pray for her healing because she is whole, right? Uh, mm -hmm. Does she have physical ailments she'll have to deal with? Yeah, absolutely. Um, but he's him sort of challenging back this, this tension of um, we pray for healing for things that maybe don't need to be healed, right? Mm -hmm. Like so our, our perceptions, our inclinations of what is right, wrong, mm -hmm. or otherwise are challenged in kingdom view. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And in that God's, may be what God's I, community. That may be what I experience in the tension around mom's lack of physical healing is like, does she need to be physically healed, right? She is uh, an incredible person of faith. She's accomplished a lot in life. Her life has been a witness to other people. Like, do, does the Lord look upon her life and see her perfectly whole, right? Where we see um, limitation and wish for her essentially for her body to conform right so mm -hmm. our daughter will be different it, she won't conform to the normal standards mm -hmm. but does that mean that she is imperfect or less than perfect not even a little bit no. um, and yet right the tension is still there right mm -hmm. it's still real Mm -hmm. And if anybody really knows your mother, us included, uh, <laughs> she's not limited. Uh, yeah. There is nothing that she cannot accomplish. Um, she just has a spirit about her. Um, she does not. She does not mourn or pity uh, herself or, or the condition uh, or what she's able to do. She just puts a little bit more thought and effort into it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, which will be the challenge ahead for our daughter, right? Um, it, we explained it to our son. I'm trying to describe her Down's diagnosis is that she might need a little more help, right? She might it might take her a little more time. She might need a little more support. Um, but that Don't doesn't. Don't we all? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That how that that line from Maxie essentially about like um, she is perfectly old, right? Mm -hmm. Even if mm -hmm. even if she doesn't fit human standards of perfection, so. Um, so I get what John Wesley that I love what you brought in about Wesley at the end because um, I don't think he's saying that if we had more faith we right. would be we would experience more healing 
I, I have come to the place of believing and I think agreeing with him and saying, when we open our eyes to see God at work, um, we will open our we will see God at work, right? Mm -hmm. In our own stories and the stories of other people, I believe He's still dramatically healing and working miracles all over the world. But if we have our eyes closed to the things of God, to the things of faith, to the things of healing, then we're not going to see them. So um, I think part of the question for the church is, are we telling the stories, right? Are we talking about them? Are we talking about what God's doing? Are we opening our eyes to see it? Um, because if we live in the position that God doesn't do it as much, right? Mm -hmm. Or we need to be apologetic, then we're never gonna get ourselves or other people to the place of seeing where God is doing these things and probably even more mm -hmm. than what's documented for us in scripture, right? Mm -hmm. um, I just had my eyes closed to it for so long mm -hmm. because it was too hard to ask or too hard to pray for. And mm -hmm. then once your eyes are open to it, right? Um, mm -hmm. You begin to see it all around. As a model, Jesus pleaded with his father, pleaded for the people, the towns, the communities, wept over them, and even wept over the will of the father for him as the son to be that sacrificial lamb. Paul pleaded with God, asking God, Ephesians chapter 1, 17 through 19, I keep asking that the Lord of our God, the Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Mm -hmm. Paul was, was tenacious in his prayer life as a model for how we as followers of Christ and Christ himself need to be in relationship with the Father. Okay. expecting God to do God's will, revelation, and, and use us for his glory. Probably one of the biggest differences, right, Gaben, Paul and the apostles and the disciples and the people who followed Jesus were seeing miracles. They were looking for them. They believed that God had given them the authority to heal themselves, right? Um, and they were actively seeking and pursuing healing for other people. So they were we have all this testament of how they experienced healing, but they were living in a place where they believed it was actively happening and around them and they were part of that story. And so I think culture has shifted, right? Um, do we believe that we have the authority to heal in Jesus' name, right? And, and are we watching for how God is revealing himself through miracle? Um, and, and I think as a, a Western culture, especially, we've just had our eyes so close to it um, that the question that we have about why God isn't doing it isn't the question, right? right. God is still doing it. Uh, we're asking the question because we've become full of doubt and skepticism and closed our eyes to it. But God has not stopped doing these miraculous works. Mm -hmm. Oh, I think it's a good word. I think expectation is the word I'm, I'm taking away from this. Like, yeah. Eyes open, arms open expecting that that God is going to do miraculous things even if they don't look the way that we anticipate even if it wouldn't be the way that we choose God is still in this um, this the same uh, this the same uh, business and defying the odds um, for example uh, in a, as a as a segue November 2nd 2016 uh, huge biggest miracle of all time as the Cubs oh, defeated the Cleveland Lord. Indians 8-7 in game 7 of the World Series. Lord, I'm sitting here wearing my Cardinals hat. I know y'all can't see it, but I, uh, <laughs> talk about he, defying he the odds. Uh, uh, 
I experienced, I experienced a miracle. I experienced healing that night from all of the crap I had taken as a Cubs fan my entire life. Yeah. Yeah, so, there was like one moment, like the first two words of that, where I'm like, oh, he's going to say something good. And then right, I'm like, oh, no, he's not. He's going straight to the Cubs. Yeah. Man, you booger. Yeah, we're all, the rest of us are Cardinals fans. You guys may well, not know they're, that. They're going to they're gonna need a miracle this season if they're even going to break 500. Hey, uh, just as we transition out, um, uh, I just thought something, instead of like our goofy segment that we, uh, that we normally do, um, just to share with those that are that are listening, maybe all five of them that are listening right now, uh, what's <laughs> our spouses don't count. Uh, what's one thing that you are reading or listening to right now that you would recommend for ministry leaders? So that's part one. And the second part of that of that is what's one thing that you're watching, reading, or listening to that you would recommend to anybody to just relax and enrich their life. I'll start with The Anatomy of Peace by the Arbinger Institute, something that uh, I've read through with the staff at the church I serve here in Morton. Um, and it, 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 for me personally, uh, recognizing where my heart is. Uh, do I, where, where is my heart? You know, if God calls us to be in a place of peace and of love, loving one another, uh, loving ourselves and loving Him. Uh, and, and where is our heart at war? Uh, and is our heart at war with ourselves or with others or with God? And just naming that, identifying that, and then working through that and how we have those relationships. And so The Anatomy of Peace by the Arbinger Institute is, is a good read, recommended. Okay, what are you, what are you, uh, what are you recommending to, uh, to relax and chill? The Chosen, a new series. I'm not sure where, maybe Peacock or, or other networks, but uh, it's it's a representation of, of biblical times with Jesus and the disciples. Uh, I've only gotten into it a few episodes, but I've really enjoyed uh, how they've put that together so far. The Chosen. You can watch The Chosen for free in their app. You can catch it on YouTube. Uh, fun fact about The Chosen, one of the writers is from Tremont, the, the town what? that I currently, currently serve. Uh, I believe his dad's an elder at one of the churches here in town, and uh, so we see his name pop up on on every episode now um and tremont folks are really proud of the chosen that is wild cool. i didn't Wouldn't know that that's awesome so i'm gonna go for our, a different angle in recommendations to pastors and this is gonna make adam's adam's gonna roll his eyes i'm not gonna be surprised <laughs> <Yeah. by this. laughs> so instead of me recommending like another great christian ministry leadership book or something um quite frankly i think that I mean, pastors should be reading those sorts of resources, right? They should be educating themselves. Um, but I find the best thing we can do as pastors is to be plugging into the real world, actually, um, by watching. I'm afraid about what you're going to say. I'm so no. afraid. Me too. Um, <laughs> no, we had a we had a, a, a mentor at seminary, Gabe and I did um, our first go round there, uh, Helen Music, who said, um, listen to the like Billboard 100 radio station, watch MTV, go to the movies that are being nominated for, you know, Golden Globes and Academy Awards, um, because you cannot engage the community and the people around you if you don't know what they're watching and what they're listening to. And so um, I would encourage you to flip on the radio station, <laughs> uh, your local, like, uh, you know, 
today's hits radio station and to learn the names of the artists and listen to the song see if uh, uh, you can brush up your current cultural skills instead of maybe another great Christian leadership book which I, I can feel the burning eyeballs from every pastor who what may you, not be listening to yeah, and you, and, your and, cultural quotient and there's also two of us that still have to go that may or may not recommend a book and now what? no you should, you should like do both now. right like Larry and I are definitely both and people right now because of our fresh right. expressions inherited church stuff do both um, like I might for example I'm reading a book that the whole world seems to be reading right now called the peril parable of the sower by octavia butler it is just a secular fiction book and i'm not reading it for my fun i'm reading it so that i know what the people in my church and community are reading if that makes any sense what else what are you doing what are you recommending just for fun then um well that was it (laughs) oh okay fine (laughs) yeah Mm. yeah the, uh, two birds with one stone. Yeah, two birds with one stone. So, yeah, enjoy the New York top ten bestseller list. Like that's okay. As a pastor, it might keep you both relaxed and informed. So we've had this conversation before because yeah. I tend to be stodgy with my taste in music and, and um, mainstream. Yes, and anti-mainstream, very anti-mainstream. Don't mess up the algorithm. However, I yes, don't mess up my Spotify algorithms. They are sacred. I will so, tell you. Yes. <laughs> uh, however, I do have a wife who is up on the top 100 and keeps me informed of such things. And when I'm around her, often uh, I, we will end up listening to those things uh, whether i want to or not <laughs> so he, he can't even use their names he's yes. like he's like too embarrassed very begrudgingly i will listen <laughs> just, adam just say lizzo just see if the word can come out of your mouth i, I cannot say it. I, I can't even utter that that word <laughs> uh, okay so i will share what i have been um so i've got i've got a a read slash listen to that's been um shaping me spiritually lately um that i will recommend to both ministry leaders or uh, laity alike um it's lectio 365 it's a Mm -hmm. two thumbs up to that yes yes. (laughs) Yes. um so it is uh put out by uh the 24 7 prayer movement um pete grieg is kind of the founder of that if you are familiar with that name um fantastic fantastic daily devotional and prayer resource it's not simply a little snippet of scripture followed by a shallow devotion but it's designed to lead you uh into a prayer encounter with god and and give you uh foci it's uh uh, foci foci what's the what's the plural of focus foci focus foci I don't know. Anyway, so yeah, it gives you a daily focus each day, and um, has has really been uh, beneficial to my own um, prayer life. And it's rooted in church tradition and scripture, and is just a really fantastic prayer resource. So that would be the resource I recommend. Um, then, in terms of the uh, fun thing um, that I recommend, uh, my wife and I just started Winter Soldier last night. So uh, enjoying it so far. We watched the pilot. It was really great. Very well done. Um, nice. So I yeah, we're enjoying hasn't it. Hasn't started that one yet. It's, not yeah. soon. it's on the so list. I'm packing. Yeah. I'm packing. Too oh, yeah. much packing. 
right, so I was going to say Lectio 365 as well. Uh-oh. So, uh, so we'll, we'll, t- we'll take that as a double endorsement of it. Uh, there you go. Another thing I'm reading right now that I think every every church leader needs to read is a church called Tove. Uh, by Scott McKnight. Yeah, um, yeah. Based on this, the that little Hebrew word tov, good. Uh, and we've all seen the way that ministries can come crashing down because of you know spiritual and moral failure of its leaders. Uh, things you know like what's happening with Ravi Zacharias Ministries and uh, different Hillsong campuses. Um, Willow Creek was in our backyard. Mm-hmm. Um, you know just how to create a goodness culture in a church that really promotes a place of healing for, uh, for everyone. So a church called Tove, my fun thing is totally out of left field. Does anybody if remember? You say Cubs, I'm going to No, you. I mean, yeah, I watch all of them. But, uh, I'm packing the knives tonight. Yeah, yes, please do before I show up. She's going to cut me. Did you all hear that? <laughs> I hope your mom's listening right now. Uh, anyway, uh, who remembers Jim Henson's uh, Muppet Factory show? Uh, the dinosaurs yeah yeah it's on disney plus right now and we we turned it on with our girls the other night and i remember watching as a kid you know like the baby yelling not the mama and hitting the dad with the the pants yes yes i am reliving my childhood right now there i'm I'm picking up so much adult humor that i didn't catch when i was when i was a kid like in some real life family circumstances like you know marriage stuff going on with uh between uh, between Earl and Fran, and I'm just loving that show right now. And if you watch that as a kid, uh, it's on Disney Plus right now. Uh, dinosaurs, it's all sorts of fun. Not the mama. Nice. Yeah, told you that was nice. gonna be out of left field. Hey, so that's uh, that's all the time we have for today. Uh, next month, uh, Gabe and Sarah are going to be right in the middle of packing up their entire lives, uh, except for the, the knives that are getting packed tonight. Um, so they're going to be right in the middle of that, getting ready to move off for uh, their next appointment. And that's all I'm going to say about that, uh, just because of grief's sake. Uh, so we're going to give them the episode <laughs> off. Uh, but I think you're going to be in for a treat, not because you're going to be stuck with just Adam and I. Our wives are going to join us. It's going to um, be so good. And we're going to talk about Wesleyan perspectives on health, uh, which, you know, like, you know, the, the COVID-20 weight gain that everybody's experienced and mental health things throughout the pandemic. I think it could be a really timely thing. We're going to talk nutrition, recreation, exercise, mental health, something that my wife is an expert on being married to me. Um, so Brittany and Jessica are going to join us as we talk about that so uh be sure to tune in uh, next month if this has uh been good for you or helpful be sure to make sure that you are subscribed on whatever whatever platform you're listening on uh, share the podcast to others who might enjoy it and until then thanks for joining us on midnight theology one last late night pondering you don't actually wash your hands they wash each other while you stand there looking at them like a creep mm-hmm.